It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's to the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires, end zone, it's caught. Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's Wednesday, so it's time for Midweek with Manish. Manish Mehta covering the Jets for the New York Daily News. Manish, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I didn't have that much fun watching the Jets on Sunday. It was uh, probably as ugly as you would imagine it could be, if that makes any sense. They had a month to prepare and they looked unprepared. You know, they came out with three three and outs offensively. They got torched defensively, specifically on the back end. Uh, it was not a promising start to the season. Now, that being said, Scott, I do not think that the 2020 Jets are going to be as bad as they were in week one. Now, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but I think they're a better team than they showed what that ultimately means record-wise is TBD, but I just don't think that this team is going to be, you know, a 1-15, in 2-14 type of team vying for the number one pick in the draft. Maybe I'll be proven wrong, but uh, I, I think they're better than they were, but clearly it was discouraging, and as Adam Gay said, and Sam Darnold said, and I think virtually every other player said, they have a lot of work to do and they have to fix these mistakes quickly. The hope, of course, is that the Jets are able to fix these mistakes and be a better team. And remember, last year they started off 1-7 and and finished 7-9. and Going to be a lot tougher to do that this year because the schedule is much harder. But still, it shows you that there's reason to think that maybe the Jets can turn this around at least to some degree. If they don't, though, and they look as bad as they did on Sunday throughout the rest of the season, they're going to be in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. And it brings to mind a very interesting question. A lot of people have said that Adam Gase and the coaching staff is ruining Sam Darnold. Others have said that maybe Sam Darnold isn't that good to begin with. I think it's probably some combination of factors here. Darnold looked really bad on Sunday. His mechanics looked poor. He was making bad decisions. I thought the play calling was very, very curious. And a little bit later, we'll get to what Adam Gase's thoughts are now in retrospect. But as much as many of us believe Adam Gase is the wrong guy for this job and that he's performed poorly when it comes to trying to get the most out of Sam Darnold, if you're being honest with yourself, watching Darnold and watching Josh Allen, even keeping in mind the different circumstances that the two quarterbacks find themselves in, you have to start to worry a little bit about Sam Darnold. We know the talent is there, but the question is, is he heading into Jameis Winston territory where you know that he's got the talent, he shows it to you a bunch of times, whether it's certain plays in games or full games, but then there are other times where he plays like this, 
where he looks outright sloppy and you say to yourself, he's so young, we can't give up on him, it doesn't make sense to let him go now, but then are you lying to yourself if it gets to that point? Now, he's had 27 starts and he's got an entire rest of the season to go, so it's early to make that determination, but if he continues to do this, the roller coaster ride, and the Jets are really, really bad this year and they're in position to pick a quarterback... That's going to be a very interesting dilemma. Now, I hope it doesn't get to that, but as of now, I think that it's a combination of Gase's mismanagement and Darnold just maybe not being the guy that we thought he was. I'm hoping he turns it around and shows us that he is indeed the guy that we thought he was, but as of right now, if you're a Jets fan, it's certainly fair to start asking the question. Well, look, I I think it's a... Unfortunate circumstance for the franchise. Let's let's start there. Uh, This is a franchise that's looking for uh, a a quarterback to kind of lift them to prosperity for you know the better part of half a century. And I know there's a lot of hope and belief that Sam Darnold can be that player. Uh, Nobody believes more in Darnold's skill set than I do. I think there's so much ability and so much raw talent there, but he's not blameless. And, and, you know, as you said, Scott, you know, if you are being you know, honest, it's not one person's fault solely. Yeah, no, I think that the people who are most culpable are Adam Gase, Joe Douglas, Christopher Johnson uh, ownership for a number of different reasons uh, that we've talked about probably for the last year. You know, whether it's financial restrictions on getting players, whether it's not bringing in enough players or the right players, uh, you know, whether it's not giving Darnold the proper tutelage. You know, I think all of those aspects are in play, and it's fair to criticize everybody involved, including Sam Darnold. Yeah. But what's unfortunate to me is we may never know, and hopefully this is not the case, but we're trending toward we might never know how good Sam Darnold truly is because he doesn't have the proper supporting cast, because he doesn't you know, have the, the weapons that Kyler Murray has, that, that Baker Mayfield, who's struggling himself, has, who Josh Allen has, Lamar Jackson has. And all of these franchises made sure that their young quarterbacks had as much help as possible you know, during this formidable, formative time in their careers. They're young, developing players who need help, who need dynamic playmakers or really good playmakers around them. Clearly, the Jets did not do a good job uh, supplying Sam Darnold with enough weaponry. And I think anybody can tell you that. You know, Joe Douglas said recently that he's excited about the playmakers. Well, that's an affront to every Jet fan who follows this team because every Jet fan knows that they don't have sufficient playmakers. Uh, and I think most of all, it's detrimental to Darnold. And I don't think any of this stuff is mean spirited. So, you know, when I'm criticizing Adam Gase, Joe Douglas, uh, you know, I, I think that they have, uh, you know, the right intentions, but ultimately you have to execute and help your young quarterback. He is the centerpiece of this franchise. And when you're trotting out, with all due respect to Chris Hogan, Chris Hogan, Brashard Perryman, and you're trying to sell that Brashard Perryman is really no different than Robbie Anderson, look, I'm the first guy to say Robbie Anderson is not an all-pro player, but he's clearly a better player than Brashard Perryman. And I think anyone who's followed the NFL over the last four years will tell you that Brashard Perryman was a flat-out first-round disappointment outside of one month last year, the most recent month 
in December. But I mean, what are you going to get out of him? You've got you're bringing in a 37 year old Frank Gore, great leader, you know, potential Hall of Famer. But what's he going to offer for Sam Darnold? He doesn't have enough weapons. And again, that doesn't excuse the mistakes that he made in Week One. He, there were some footwork issues, some mechanical issues. That is partly on him. That's also partly on the guy who was hired to help fix those mistakes. And that's Adam Gase. And by the way, they have an offensive coordinator in Dow Loggins. But what are these people doing? Their job is to help Darnold fix the mistakes that he had you know, in college, that he had at different points in his rookie year, that he had uh, at different points last year. He's not significantly getting better and you have to ask, your, ask yourself the question, and this is really the central question, uh, is he just not good enough, or does he not have the right teacher and the right supporting cast? And that's what I said, you know, why I said earlier, we might never know the answer to that question, but it would be extremely unfortunate if they ruined this kid. Uh, you compared him to Jameis Winston. I had a general manager yesterday compare him to uh, David Carr, you never really knew what you know, David Carr, who was a top pick. You never really knew what he what he was because uh, he was so damaged early in his career, and that's why this pivotal window is being wasted. And it's unfortunate that it's being wasted. Uh, this is the time to have the right coach, have the right players around a young quarterback to find out who he truly is. And uh, I thought the Jets actually did a really good job of that with Mark Sanchez. They had uh, an incredible offensive line. They had an incredible running game. They had good receivers. Uh, and then we ultimately found out that Sanchez was just not good enough. But at least we had an opportunity to find out what he was because he had a good supporting cast. Uh, with Darnold, right out of the chute in his career, uh, he just doesn't have enough around him. And I think that's an indictment on the decision makers. Uh, but ultimately, he does have to take some blame. So I think the blame can be spread. I'm just placing most of the blame on the head coach and the, the decision makers in the organization above him. The David Carr comparison is interesting, but the reason I wouldn't go that route is because David Carr really didn't do anything, whereas Darnold, we see the flashes. He's had some really good games. That, to me, is more along the lines of what we've seen from Jameis Winston. But what frustrates me with the Adam Gase part of this equation is the stubbornness that he continues to enter into each game with and exit out of each game with. In fact, yesterday he spoke to the media, as did Sam Darnold, Connor McGovern, and Jordan Jenkins, and we'll get to those guys in a bit. But Gase said that even having an entire day to have looked at the film, knowing what the defense was calling, he wouldn't have changed anything he did on offense. And I just can't understand how that could be your answer any coach worth anything would see how badly his team got beat up and there could have been something, anything, even the smallest thing that he could look at and say, oh, maybe I could have tried this or, oh, maybe I could have tried that. And you don't even have to necessarily say exactly what it is you would have done differently because maybe you're afraid of giving your week two opponent a window into what you're planning to do for that particular game, but at least say something, have a little bit of humility. This is one thing where Adam Gase just gives his critics fuel for the fire because you can't watch your offense get destroyed like that and then come out and say, yeah, I wouldn't have done anything differently yeah and look I think that is what a lot of passionate Jets followers are talking about right now it's the defiance it's the arrogance that he has and look the typical Adam Gase playbook is this after the game he actually tells uh, us what he feels and typically it's 
this guy's fault, that guy's fault. It's everyone's fault except his. And you saw that and heard that on Sunday uh, after they lost. He said, look, there were guys open, but throws weren't made. The translation, our quarterback didn't make uh, good passes. So he was throwing Sam Darnold under the bus. And then he also said that guys were open and they dropped passes. That's obviously an indictment on the receivers dropping passes. Uh, and he said there were miscommunication issues in the run game. At no point after the game did he accept any responsibility or accountability for the fact that his offense had nine first downs in their first 10 drives. They had 11 drives for the game, and they had six first downs in that window-dressing final touchdown drive when the game was already uh, settled. But for the first 10 drives of the game, nine first downs. Uh, he didn't accept responsibility for any of that. And typically, you know, he, you know, he said that. Uh, during his time in Miami. He said that at different points last year after losses, and then he gets criticized, as he should be, because he obviously plays a role in the offensive failures, even though he doesn't admit them after games. But given uh, that 24-hour or so window, given uh, you know time after watching the film, he would come back on Mondays typically and say, look, it's my fault. I have to do a better job in this or that. Uh, you know, regardless of whether he actually felt that way, uh, you know, he was doing damage control. And that's what I suspected would have happened Monday. But he didn't do that. He, he, he kind of doubled down on what he had said after the game. And what I thought was particularly troubling in his comment was that, he, you know, he said specifically, given what the Bills' defensive play calls were, he would not have changed anything for, on his end. And that, to me, is a loser's mindset. If you are an offensive uh, head coach, as he is, an offensive play caller, you dictate terms on every play. You make the defense adjust to you. You don't react to the defense. Uh, being reactionary as an offensive head coach is a loser's mindset. And I'm frankly surprised. You know, there's not many things that Gay surprises me with these days. But I'm frankly surprised that he didn't take any responsibility. As you said, showed no humility. You would think he would be contrite after his offense got embarrassed like that, after his team got embarrassed like that. But he did not do that. Uh, and maybe, you know, maybe we're at the point now, 17 games into his tenure as the Jet head coach, where you have to say that's just part of his DNA. Because I resisted for a long time. You know, I, I said I never want to get to a point where I don't think a guy can grow and evolve and mature. But now we're starting year two, and he has become even more rigid, if that's even possible, after, you know, after a failure. And I just don't see how that's productive for himself. I don't see how that's productive for the team. I certainly don't see how that's going to be productive for his young quarterback. I just can't imagine somebody like Bruce Arians watching his offense get destroyed like that and then in a press conference the next day after sitting down and watching tape giving an answer along the lines of there's nothing different I would have done. I think somebody like Arians and many others like him would have had an answer for at least something they could have tried that would have been better because really couldn't have been much worse on Sunday. And it's going to get worse on the offensive side of the ball. I know that Le'Veon Bell hasn't been super effective yet, but he is still arguably their best offensive weapon. And now he's going to be gone for a couple of weeks. Yeah, and it's a hamstring injury. Now, look, I don't think we're ever going to find out definitively 
whether this hamstring injury, which occurred on a freak play when A.J. Klein grabbed him when he was going on on a route that would have been a touchdown, frankly. And that, I think, was actually one of Adam Gase's uh, best play calls of the day. He took advantage of the fact that Milano was out, his backup A.J. Klein was in there, and it was a, it was a way to isolate Le'Veon Bell you know, on a linebacker, uh, a backup linebacker. And frankly, it would have worked to perfection if there wasn't a holding call. But because Klein held Bell, he his body kind of turned awkwardly, and that's where you know, he suffered that hamstring issue. Now, I don't know if the hamstring issue was tight entering the game. Now, if you remember, as I'm sure you've talked about on other podcasts, Scott, they had uh, an issue, uh, they meaning Bell and Gase, back uh, a couple weeks ago during the scrimmage when, uh, you know, evidently Le'Veon Bell's hamstring was tight uh, and he was pulled from the scrimmage. I don't know if that's a continuation of, you know, uh, of what happened back then. I don't know if it's a new injury. Uh, but what I do know is that you know, he was ineffective before uh, he got hurt, and this occurred late in the first half. You know, he averaged, what, two, a little over two yards a carry, 2.3 yards a carry, he did make that one nice 30-yard catch on that uh, on that hurry-up drive right before the half on a on a terrific pass, probably Sam Donald's best pass of the day down the sideline. But by and large, he he wasn't really effective. And now with a hamstring injury, uh, you know he's a competitor. I'm sure he's going to want to play against the 49ers on Sunday. I'm sure that would be a foolish decision. And I don't think he is going to play against the 49ers. I don't think he's frankly going to play against the Colts the following week. Adam Gase doesn't want to. You know, definitively say it's going to be a two-week injury, but you know, just to his credit, he said, you know, about a couple weeks. I think if you're a head coach in his position, that's probably the smart way to do it, where you keep it open-ended, but at the same time, you're realistic and, and don't pretend that the guy's going to be out of practice on on Wednesday or Thursday because it is a hamstring injury. He obviously had some kind of tightness in the summertime, so. Better to be safe than sorry, because the last thing you want is for Le'Veon Bell to rush it back week two or week three, and he exacerbates the injury. Then he's gone for six weeks. Uh, you know that's not the right thing to do. That's not the smart thing to do. I think the Jets understand that. I think Adam Gase understands that. Uh, you know, I don't want to say it's a lost season after one game for this player, but uh, it's certainly unfortunate because he came in in such great shape. He was lighter than he's ever been. He was highly motivated. Anyone, uh, you know, who knows Le'Veon Bell will tell you that. He came in with a really good attitude despite having the worst year of his career last year. And then for this to happen in the season opener, it, you know, it's unfortunate for him. Uh, it really puts Adam Gase in a precarious position because even though he wasn't going to feature Le'Veon Bell and make him his workhorse, uh, he clearly was going to have a big role in the backfield. And now you're looking at a 37-year-old Frank Gore, uh, Josh Adams, who was elevated from the practice squad. Uh, who knows when Michael P. Ryan, who has that ankle injury and missed week one, is going to be ready. Uh, maybe he's, he's ready this week. Maybe it takes another week. But it's not an ideal situation for Gase in that backfield now without Le'Veon Bell. And it's certainly not an ideal situation taking one of the few good players that Sam Darnold actually has at his disposal out of the equation. Bell's not the only one who's hurt. Blake Cashman injured as well. Yeah, he, you know, look, this is a player who had injury history coming uh, out of college. I, I think he had shoulder surgeries on each of his shoulders, if I remember correctly. And then uh, he missed the bulk of last year. Uh, now he's got a groin injury. And much like hamstring injuries, you're talking about a soft tissue uh, issue that takes time. So who knows how long he'll be out. They're already thin without Avery Williamson playing at inside linebacker. 
uh, Greg Williams used Harvey Lange, uh, and then Lange had a nice pass breakup that uh, helped prevent a touchdown, but look, he, he's not the long-term answer. So the Jets are really thin at that position, and, and that's a position, frankly, that's going to be critical uh, in week two. You know, if you're just looking you know, in the short term, what do the 49ers do well? They get the ball to their tight end, and I know we'll talk about George Kittle in a bit being banged up, but uh, they, go, they go to the tight end, and they go to the running backs. And who has to cover running backs? You know, linebackers and safeties cover running backs. So, uh, you know, being thin at that position does not come at a good time for this Jets team. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Let's talk about what was said to the press yesterday, Manish. We talked a little bit about what Gase said, but he had more to say as well, as did Sam Darnold, Jordan Jenkins, and Connor McGovern. What were some of the highlights? Well, you know, in addition to not taking uh, any responsibility for the offensive woes, Gase did say that it's his job to to get Darnold in a rhythm earlier. Uh, and to Darnold's credit, to much like he did after the game, he did take responsibility uh, for the you know the underwhelming performance uh, in Week One. Uh, what I thought was interesting was that he said, "Look, he, you know, he missed throws that he typically makes, and he, he said there were three consecutive passes which he was particularly upset about." But he did uh, admit, you know, it, subtly that maybe he was a little too amped up early in the game. So he talked about taking some deep breaths maybe to get himself in the right frame of mind. It's unusual because he is a third-year player, and it's not as if there was a hostile crowd. It was an empty stadium that he was playing in front of. But I think he understands what the expectations are for him this season. So perhaps he was a little bit more amped up. Uh, there were some drops there, so it's not all on Darnold. Uh, I just think... When you look at Darnold's game, uh, you know, the, the one play, that interception, is is troublesome. And it's correctable, and I understand that the guy is trying to make a play because he doesn't have a lot of weapons around him. That being said, he cannot make the decision that he made on that interception where he's sprinting to his left, his footwork and his body alignment are all out of whack, and he throws into coverage. You know, that's a mistake that you expect a rookie to make. Uh, you know, he made a, a really poor decision in Miami and that, that interception in the end zone last year. Uh, he needs to fix that, and that's not an Adam Gase problem. You know, for all of the criticism, the warranted criticism, frankly, that Adam Gase gets, that interception was not on Adam Gase. That wasn't on anyone other than the quarterback. Uh, that just can't happen. Uh, you know, it's one thing to say that it can't happen, but the proof is in the pudding. You know, I, I know that Darnold knows that. But that's, you know, those are the types of mistakes that he has to absolutely limit or he's never going to take that significant jump this year. And that's not on the play caller. That's not on the supporting cast. That's on one person and one person only. Uh, you know, that being said, you know, he faces a daunting challenge. If you're going from the Bills defense in week one to the Niners defense in week two, there's really no breather uh, he's going to have a tough challenge, as is everybody else on that offense. Uh, in terms of what 
you know, the other said, you know, Connor McGovern said one thing that really jumped out to me. Uh, he said that you know, they didn't struggle because they don't have good enough players. They struggled because they didn't execute. Now, those are two sentences that can be dissected a million different ways. I actually bounced that idea off some people yesterday trying to, you know, interpret what does that actually mean because, you know, I look at it like they don't have good enough players. Others disagreed with me, you know, in private conversations and said, look, you could have good enough players, but, you know, you made mistakes that you typically wouldn't make. And again, it's only one game, so we'll see how this kind of unfolds over the next month or so. You know, I'm of the belief that they don't have enough good players, and that's why they were outclassed uh, by the Bills yesterday. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe they they made mistakes that they don't typically make, but we're not going to find that out for for several weeks. Uh, what I will say is that, as I said off the jump, Scott, I don't think they're as bad as they were yesterday. I don't think they're a playoff team, as I said earlier. But uh, I don't think you're going to see them getting blown out every week. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but I tend to think they'll be more competitive. I don't know if it's going to happen week two against you know, a Super Bowl contender. But I think as this season goes on, uh, I do think that uh, you know, they'll be more competitive. I absolutely do think they're going to win games. And Jordan Jenkins expressed his frustration. If you remember in the summer, he said he's sick of losing. He reiterated that. But he also said uh, right now all that is is talk. Saying that you're sick of losing doesn't mean much when you get, you know, your butt kicked. And, you know, he took accountability for that. Uh, you know, ultimately, it's about producing. This game is about producing. You can say that you're upset. And I appreciate, I know that fans appreciate when players are honest. I want them to be honest. But at the end of the day, you know, that anger and that frustration, uh, you know, that has to result in wins. Because if you remember before the season, Joe Douglas even said, you know, there's some angry guys out there. And at different points in the offseason, Joe Douglas uh, you know, took some veiled shots at, crit at critics when he said, you know, we were 6-2 and two against the quote-unquote so-called soft schedule. Well, the reality is that it was a soft schedule. And if you want to use that as a rallying point to, and use the underdog card, that's all well and good. But you actually have to show on the field that you're angry and that uh, you're ticked off, not roll over. And it seemed at different points, specifically early in the game, this team did roll over. Let's talk about Pierre Desir Manish. He was benched during this game. Nate Hairston came in, didn't do all that much better. Is Desir going to start in week number two? Is Greg Williams going to put him back out there? Well, look, I think he should put him back out there. Uh, it was a, a really poor start to his Jet career. Uh, Joe Douglas and the front office signed him specifically to be their top cornerback. And this is a player that the front office is familiar with because, as you know, Rex Hogan, the assistant general manager, did come from Indianapolis. So you know, he's got some intel on Pierre Desir, who you know, had some injury issues last year with the hamstring. Uh, he had uh, injury issues in the summer with his, his other hamstring. Uh, but that's an indictment on the decision makers. There's really no, way, no other way to characterize it right now. You bring a guy in to be your top cornerback, and then your coaches think so little of the player – that they bench him midway through the second quarter of week one. I mean, that's frankly embarrassing. And I'm not saying that Pierre Desir shouldn't have been benched because he, he was giving up chunk yards. Uh, he had a big 33-yard, uh, uh, I believe, defensive pass interference call. He was not playing well in the least bit. And uh, this is a guy that your front office gives to your coaching staff and says, look, we think he can be a number one corner. And he plays so poorly that he has to get benched 
before halftime of week one. I don't know if he's going to start week two. We'll see. Uh, if you remember last year, Tremaine Johnson struggled, and Greg Williams and Denard Wilson, the defensive backs coach, uh, you know, they weren't shy of ben- they weren't shy to you know to bench Tremaine Johnson, uh, and they ultimately brought him back to start. And I think that would be the smart move. Uh, you don't want to jump ship on a guy <laughs> this early in the season. You want to give him another opportunity to make amends. I think that's the right course of action. I think that's the fair thing to do. That the Jets could roll out Nate Hairston again. Now he struggled. Uh, Arthur Millette, you know, was a guy who, in brief spurts last year, did some pretty good things. So maybe they could go with him. But uh, look, I'm not Greg Williams. Uh, you know, Greg Williams has forgotten more about football than I'll ever know. But if it were me, I would give Desir another shot. I would start him and uh, see how he bounces back. You want to see how he responds. He's a competitor. He has done good things in this league. You know, I-, I would give him another shot to start week two. Last order of business, Manish, some key injuries on the 49ers side of the ledger for this upcoming matchup week number two. It could affect how you bet this Sunday. I've said that at this rate, of course, I'm half joking. You should probably bet against the Jets every week, but this week could be an exception with the point spread because of the fact that there are important players on the 49ers who are questionable at this point. So if you head over to my bookie right now and you double your first deposit and you get up to $1,000 in free play, you might want to bet on the Jets this time because with the points and some of these guys potentially out, the Jets might surprise some people. You can also bet on props, futures, anything you want. It's all at MyBookie. Use the promo code OVERTIME and you'll double your first deposit. Get up to $1,000 in free play. Winning season can begin for you right now only at MyBookie. So, Manish, what do we know about these injuries for the 49ers right now? Well, there was a belief uh, about a week or so ago that Debo Samuel might be ready for the start of the season. Now, this is a guy who was terrific uh, as a dual threat, uh, you know, primarily receiver, but they used him, you know, on on jet sweeps and you know, as a guy who could be a ball carrier uh really well. I thought Kyle Shanahan did a really good job specifically in the second half of last season. Uh, Debo Samuel was a threat in the second half of last season and in the playoffs. Uh he's a guy who had a setback with a foot injury. So he is not going to play against the Jets. And then, uh, you know, the bigger one is uh, George Kittle, you know, the, the Pro, Bowl, uh, Pro Bowl tight end. He's a guy who sprained his knee early uh, in the season opener. Now, he did return, but he was very ineffective. I'm not even sure if he caught a pass after he returned, but he was ineffective after he came back uh, after hurting himself early in the game. So it's too early in the week to know if he's going to be ready. You have to believe that even if he does play against the Jets, it's not going to be you know, the George Kittle that we're used to seeing. And that's a big loss for Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo. But uh, you know what Kyle Shanahan has shown is that he can get production in in a number of different places, in odd places. And, and as I said earlier, you know, they're a team that's effective throwing to cornerbacks and to running backs. Raheem Mostert, their running back, was effective in the passing game last week. I think you'll see... Uh, Jarek McKinnon be used uh, as a passing threat, maybe maybe even Tevin Coleman. But uh, you're going to see a spread-the-wealth type of offense uh, from guys who aren't wide receivers. So I think that's going to stress Greg Williams' defense. As I said earlier, corners and safeties are going to be stressed. So you know it, it's going to be an unorthodox uh, offensive attack, but clearly an offensive attack that 
has been effective recently, specifically last year when they went to the Super Bowl. So uh, a big challenge for Greg Williams, uh, even if Greg, uh, even if George Kittle isn't healthy. Uh, you know, a big challenge, obviously, for Adam Gase and, and Sam Darnold because this defense is, is really good. Uh, and, and I know we haven't, uh, we didn't talk about the brightest part of the day for the Jets. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't all gloom and doom. It was a lot of gloom and doom. But, uh, you know, in addition to Bless Austin, I thought Bless Austin did a really good job on the back end. I thought the star of the game for the Jets was Marcus May. Uh, the guy was absolutely brilliant in his new role, taking over for Jamal Adams. That's a credit to Marcus May. That's a credit to Greg Williams. And that uh, that's really encouraging to see because I've always thought that Marcus May, uh, you know, had star quality. It was just about him being healthy and having Greg Williams use him the way that he used Jamal Adams in many respects uh, was really smart because Marcus May was all over the field. And I know Jet fans don't want to talk about Jamal Adams anymore, but Jamal Adams, for anyone who thought might be a, pro- uh, a product of the scheme, was awesome in his Seattle debut. I had somebody who was at the game tell me that he, con- that he meaning Jamal Adams, controlled that game. Both Adams and May were excellent and I keep going back to this, and maybe I'm beating a dead horse here because it's not going to happen. It's so unfortunate that the Jets weren't able to have both these guys on the team this year and have both these guys be the bedrock of this defense for years to come. Marcus May, certainly a bright spot, as was Bless Austin. So I guess we can hang our hats on that as we head into week two and hope for better results. Manish Mehta covering the Jets for the New York Daily News. Thanks so much for coming on. As always, really appreciate it. For those who want to check out your work in the Daily News, what do you got cooking over there? I'll probably uh, dive a little bit deeper into what is going on with Sam Darnold. You know, we touched on a lot of different elements today, but uh, I, you know, I, I still think that uh, he can make an important step forward. I know it didn't look that way in week one, but uh, I, I just can't turn away from the talent. I think the talent is too much. I think he's got the right mindset and the right work ethic. And I still think that uh, brighter days are ahead for him this season. Make sure that you're following Manish on Twitter and reading his work in the Daily News. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.